As men, we can become preoccupied with financial success. I've certainly felt that at times myself. But the team and I have designed a quiz that's going to help you improve your intentions to achieve better results for your career and business. And there's a link to it in the show notes. I'll tell you more at the end of this episode. But for now, enjoy listening. You always go through your life thinking you've not got anything. You think, oh, you know, I've not got anything, me. But when you really have everything took off you, that's when you realise you probably had everything. I had a girlfriend that loved me. Yeah, I had a place of my own. You know, I had a baby on the way. I had a job. I had everything, really. But at the time, you could probably not tell me that because I thought I had nothing. Welcome to Stories of Men, Beneath the Surface. I'm Alex Melia. Join me as we discover what it means to be a man in the modern era. In this week's episode, a stark reminder that your whole life can change in an instant. A few years ago, a friend of mine from school, Grant, was hanging out with some mates one weekend when he got a phone call. A friend asked to be picked up. Grant knew this lad was a dodgy character, but he agreed to go and get him. We get to some lights and I see a car coming in my rear view mirror must have been doing about 100 miles an hour. So I was just calm and collected. It pulled up right behind me. I could see it was a police car. Danny's going, oh, I've got something on me what I probably shouldn't have. What should I do? And I said, well, it's up to you. I thought, just carry on driving. So as we turn right at the lights, the police lights come on. As I'm trying to pull over into a junction, about five other police cars just come out of nowhere and they kind of surround the car. If anyone would have saw me then, I would have been white as a ghost. So the, the police all come out and straight round the car, pulling the car doors open and dragging us out sort of stuff. I'm going, what's going on? They had us up against the wall and they started searching all the car. But as soon as they found cocaine, they arrested us all. You're under arrest for possession of Class A drugs. didn't get charged until February 2015, almost a year after it happened. Possession with intent to supply. I spoke to Danny not long after, and Danny said, listen, don't worry about it. I'll go in, I'll say, it was in my possession, it was mine. It's not going to concern you. My life dramatically changed in that next six months. So rather than being in the pubs and going out on a Friday night, I'd now met a, a girl, Charlotte, who's now my wife. I was only with her for a couple of months or something. She ended up getting pregnant. My life was on hold for well into a year. Danny, he wouldn't answer the phone, so I just drove around to his house and we, we got in the car and we were just driving around in the car and I said, what's happening? Why have you changed your tune? He goes, well, I've got to look after myself as well. It's every man for himself and that's what my court's saying and, you know, your your life doesn't affect mine and we've just got to go down this, go down this route. I was angry initially. There was a bit of anger, there was a bit of confrontation, but I just kind of knew I weren't changing his mind. And it was like well over an hour this conversation, we were just driving round and we were just going back in circles. So we went to court, my dad came, my mum, Charlotte, the judge said, you've got 32 months in prison not suspended, meaning I had to be taken down there and then. 
and I just heard a massive whelp behind me and I looked behind and Charlotte was crying. She was like about five months pregnant then, so she was showing. And then we got tucked down into the cells underneath. And as you're walking down, the only way I can describe it, it's like going to a zoo with animals that hadn't been fed. All these lunatics flying up against the, against the windows. What, what's happening? I wouldn't say I'm, I'm a soft person, but I remember being a bit scared there, thinking, wow, who are all these people in here? And right up against the kids, and they banged me into this cell at the bottom of Liverpool Crown Court. I took my suit off, and I remember just putting my joggers on, and then we sat in Liverpool for ages, and you get into the, the wagon. And we got took to Walton Prison, which I didn't know much about, but apparently it's notorious for gangland, Liverpool gangland altercations all the time. Uh, we got signed in, they strip you off naked, and then they just chuck you in a cell with anyone. And Danny was on the bus with me, and even though we hadn't spoke, sometimes it's just the comfort of knowing someone rather than being put in a cell with somebody because it's all bunk beds, it's not, you know, you don't have your own place or anything. It stunk of, you know, pee in the cell, it was dirty. And I'd have said, oh, can we go together? Because, you know, I don't want to get stuck in with someone who smokes. So we, we bunked together. I remember waking up in the morning and, and, and looking at where I was in the environment, all writing on the walls and the, it was just stunk in there. And I'm thinking, God, it wasn't a dream. I'm obsessed with the film Shawshank Redemption. And a couple of things that you mentioned to me, I, I, I've seen the film so many times. And when they're all lining up and the guy, one of the guys says, when do we eat? And he's like, you eat when we tell you to eat. And then he, and he batters him. I think it's Officer Hadley or whatever his name is. And then you go through to the bit where they're trying to bet on who's going to cry first and it ends up being the the overweight guy and you getting stripped and all of that. And it really made, reminded me of all of that. Did that come into your head, those kinds of images, you know, Green Mile, Shawshank Redemption, those kinds of things? It did, but the prison system in Britain is much different to that. It's not like you don't behind a cage or you have a door do get stripped off but you're on your own just with the officers so when they strip you and ask you to squat you're just surrounded by probably three officers you're just checking on you're not trying to carry anything into in there with you like phones or whatever people might try and smuggle in um, it does come into your mind yeah i think going in is there are people who break down in there you see people self-harming i remember one lad as soon as i walked on the wing he had these horrendous scars on his arms and i mean it, and I remember just being shell-shocked with what I was seeing, just absorbing all these different people and just so different to the life normal people live. One thing I'll say right now is, so uh, you and I have known each other since 1998, so 24 years. We're in the same school together, the world-famous Hesker Fletcher High School, which is no more in Atherton, Greater Manchester. And I almost call school like a partial institutionalization. For you to go institutionalized then freedom, then go back to being institutionalised, but to a much greater extent. What was that like? To and, and did any sort of comparisons to school ever come to mind as well? Yeah, it was, it was very similar to school in a sense that it's structured. So you get up, you know, you have to have some kind of purpose or do some kind of learning. So I think the prisons now, they, 
if anyone's not got like at least level two in maths or level three it might be you have to complete that while you're in there or work towards it english as well key studies you're probably going to need in your life they'll give you you know it's legit qualifications as well you can do electrics in there you can get city and guilds qualified and it's also the tiniest little thing could kick off at any minute like it could at school just by looking at someone so if someone looks at someone wrong we're talking about fully grown men here who are still acting like children and it that does happen what you're looking at and it, a fight could literally happen from that and they have to be ready there and then to go for it because you're so confined in an area people can start to irritate you and because you're probably bottled in all these emotions up and someone's irritating you you might just take out on them i didn't personally do anything like that i wasn't involved in any major altercations i did have a couple of like arguments what could have gone but it was just so nonsensical what people fight over probably the best fight i saw between two lads and they were both handy and it was over one of them was going on a visit to see his girlfriend and the other one was the barber on the wing and he said he'd cut his hair but then said oh i can't be bothered cutting your hair now when it got closer to the time so he must have gone away and he was stewing on it. And then he said, right, get in the pad. <laughs> I was like, wow. And there was both handy lads and they just went into the pad and shut the door. And like they come out and they both had big black eyes, blood everywhere. And I'm thinking, wow. But it is scary to think that they're going in there and you don't know what limits <laughs> what limits it goes to in prison. Is it Would it be worth losing your life over or being completely, you know, head smashed in over having a, not getting a haircut? When it goes back to that first day, they're all making noises and saying, what you in for, what you in for. Are you trying to pretend that you're not intimidated? If you've never been in that situation before, like someone who probably listens to this who's been to jail a few times, they wouldn't even remotely remember that because it's just a part of what happens. What It's not necessarily what you're in for. They're asking you, have you got any burn? I mean, that means like tobacco. They always want something like it's not just they don't have any concern for you or what you were just trying to see what they could get off you basically and see if you had anything to give them on that day but yeah you're intimidated yeah definitely i would i would always try not be not be intimidated i'm not easily intimidated but it's the fear of the unknown is the probably the best you don't know what you don't know where you're going you don't know the process you don't know how the rest of that day is going to unfold so yeah i think that's the main fear what where am i going to here you have no control over it. Mm. I think fear and you mentioned fear, fear and control are two fascinating topics. To have the control taken away from you and people exerting their control on you, and then at the same time having all these fears, what was that like to experience? Yeah, I always remember thinking, as long as I'm me and I'm inside my own head, I'll be okay. Because I, I, I'm not trying to like, boast. I'm quite mentally strong. So I think as long as I wouldn't like to, you know, my missus, for example, I don't think that she would be able to put up with that kind of situation or people who've been lived a privileged or kind of different kind of lifestyle where everything's given to them. I don't know where they would react, but I just knew I, I was just knew I was going to be okay. And just because I was who I was and I'm not someone who thinks they're better than anyone. I just thought as long as I just go in with an open mind look after myself when I need to do, not get in any trouble, not instigate anything, not getting involved with anyone who are not going to benefit me in any way, I'll be okay. And you're drawn to people who have similar interests as you. 
and I met people I've, I've still kept in touch with. One of them learned to be an electrician in there and has gone on to be an electrician now and he's, you know, doing well for himself. You're not always surrounded by people you don't want to be with. There is a bit of that. There's a big drug problem in there with the, it's called Spice. It's not really popular outside, but in there, that's the main, people die on that and they're just completely addicted to it. But most of the people you, you associate with are just people you, you would probably associate with on the outside world as well and just normal guys, like even like yourself, people who've just been to Creamfields and there's loads of that, just one day and the whole life's changed. There's so much, not so many normal lads in there like myself, like you, who just found yourself in a, a bad period of the life. So you come out of it. What's important, you know, at that time, I remember thinking, wow, I'm going to start from scratch here now. I'm going to have to rebuild my life up. As soon as I get out of here, I'm going to do this, this, and this. I was even writing it down on pads, my plan. And it keeps you going day after day out. You sat on all these ideas. I'm going to do this. I'm going to start this business. And, you know, none of it, not half of it, don't come to anything, but it just gets you through day by day the hope and that I took it as a bit of a reset. I'm going to reset my life from this point not associate with anyone who's going to drag me into things I don't need to be involved in. I know what I've always wanted and I'll just, I'll just go and do that. The grant of 2022, how is he different from the grant of eight, nine years ago? We'll get back to the episode in a second. Before that, I just want to say, if you think this episode would be useful to a friend, send it along. You never know, it might just be the exact thing they're looking for today. And now back to the show massively i think children has, has changed me massively i'm compassionate i think of others a lot more i see risks so much you know i know someone if something's a risk and it's going to hinder me or my family in any way to stay well away from it a lot of people think they have a lot of friends because they go to the pub all the time and they're only friends when you're in the pub because when you're not you stop going to the pub you stop being your friend and that's just exactly how my life turned out, that me, Wes and Ross, my two brothers, when we all used to go out, there'd be a squad of 30 people there every weekend. I don't speak to any of them. Not because I fell out with them, just because our life paths have gone different ways. They might still be doing stuff like going out and partying or getting in bother, whatever. And my life is not that anymore. I almost can separate the friends I've had in the past with the friends I've got now in, in some senses by education. Some friends are educated and some friends are not. And I think, I think the ones who are educated, they're self-aware. Like you said before, you think about other people now, you're more compassionate. I don't know about you, but I was very selfish when I was younger. Didn't want to help people, stingy, didn't want to share money with people, all those kinds of things. And as you get older and you become more educated and you're, you do courses and all of that, you're constantly upskilling yourself. And not only are you improving yourself professionally but you're improving yourself personally as well so the educated people the educated friends that you've got they are going to be thinking oh i wonder how grant is okay I'll, I'll write him a letter or i'll give him a call or send him a message and that's the difference i think as the time come towards the back end of that period i was getting loads of letters from different people but one really well it was one from a missus actually stood out and i was getting to that to the last probably six weeks before I was due to be released and my plan at that time was get out 
I spend a bit of time when I, when I knew baby, I missed, I missed him being born while I was there. So that broke my heart at the time. And it was, it was from Charlotte and I haven't been able to speak to her for a few days for whatever on the phone. I don't know if the phones were down or something. She wrote me a letter saying, oh, I've had some good news. Your ex-boss has been in touch. And um, he's just wondering what your plans are when you get you get out. I don't know what he's getting at. And I remember thinking, wow, that's interesting. Like, why why would he do that? As I got out, I think it was a Tuesday. On the Thursday, he said, can you come round, you know, bring the baby and I want to see you. So we, we went round with the baby and there was a bit of small talk and all that. And then um, he said, "What what's your plans? And I said, well, I'm going to obviously have to crack on, get earning some money. I've got baby to feed now and all that. And he said, um, would you have your job back? And I was like, I didn't think it'd ever be an option. And he just chucked me the keys to the office and went, come back whenever you want, starting tomorrow, starting two weeks, starting two months, just as long as I know you're going to come back. And I remember just thinking, wow, like, there are people in your life, what they're friends as such, you have your best interest at heart. And by being a good person to him previously, he's remembered that. I also got a phone call the day after that of another friend, and I taught, I taught him to do plumbing when he came over from India. So he'd always, he'd always remembered that. And a couple of days after I got he just run me by chance. He said, what are you doing for work? I said, I don't know, uh, I'm just, I've got my job back. He said, I've got, you know, if you want to start work tomorrow, you can come work for me. And I was like, just by these people just being aware and making an effort, I didn't even have to go to them. They both come to me and offered me work the next day. And like the the people I would class as real friends for the re- for the rest of my life. I'm obviously one's my, still my boss now, and the other guy I'm in touch with him all the time. It's not a friendship where we go drinking in any anywhere shape or form it's just a phone call every now and then and a chat to see how we're both getting on and like the point of that is just be nice to people and help people as much as you can and when when it's your turn to be helped there's probably going to be someone there to give you a leg up when you need it i remember being on a friend's stag do a a good few years ago you and i were there in ibiza and and i remember you telling me the story about your ex-boss and he'd had some troubles himself when he was younger and he could relate to your story through his own background and he maybe he didn't have the opportunities when he was in trouble so he wanted to almost pay that forward to someone else he knew well exactly that so he said the situation you was in in that car he said i've probably been in that situation many a times it just that just didn't happen to me what happened to you and he said some of your other bosses are even higher up would have been in that situation most of our friends have probably been in similar situations it's just the look of the draw and i think you know i'm not a spiritual person but i do think things happen for a reason and i think the the life i was living at that time was probably not what I, not what i should have been doing going out with certain people staying out to all i was all weekend not going home and stuff i think the outcome of that situation happening has completely changed my life now. It's better than it ever has been. I'm very focused, very driven, and it's all down to just realising, give it your all, because if it's all taken away from you at some time, you'd, you'd regret it. Or spiralling away into a, a negative environment can literally change everything in one day. You think about the working class background that you and I have come from, going to the same school, schools closed down the area you know you meet some of the some of the the characters from that area who some people do self-educate themselves and read lots of books and go on courses and things but 
the majority don't from our from our experience anyway what what made you go down that path of read being a voracious reader constantly trying to upskill yourself get yourself out of that environment because a lot of people go to prison and then they go back and the cycle repeats they go back to the same friends the same community and they they don't want to make that difficult decision of getting themselves out of it and i always love this phrase of hard decisions easy life easy decisions hard life yeah people try and generalize things and put stuff in categories but it is on the individual you've got to want you've got to want to do stuff you've got to want to you've got to be interested and like i'll i'll listen to podcasts sometimes people i've never even heard of and i just listen and it could be two and a half hours but if i'm engrossed in it and i'm learning something new I'm enjoying it. First and foremost, you have to be interested in whatever you're doing. And I do think that a lot of these people who are in them cycles of prison or just stuck in some kind of rut, gambling, whatever, to some extent, they must like it and they must be interested in it or they've literally got nothing better to do or they don't know where to go or what, what they want to do. Sometimes I think I don't even know what I want to do. I've got, you know, I've got a good job. I've got a business on the side. I've got kids. I've got a family. I've got a nice house. But like, I'm still not 100% what I want to do. I don't think I'm going to be doing what I'm doing today for the rest of my life. I'm always looking for another opportunity or seeing what else there is out there, what I can have a go at. Mm. So in the future, I want to be a father. I want to have a son. And when I think about all of the experiences I've had, be able to shape him in a way that perhaps I wasn't shaped myself. We probably have maybe a, a motivation coming from the background that we do to make sure that our, our kids to kind of mold them into the young men that maybe we weren't. With your son, what do you teach him in how to becoming a young man with lots of great values and morals and, and respect for others, etc.? I think there's an element of that what's just in his nature. He's so kind. When he goes parents' evening, he's just he's polite, his manners. He always says he, does, he hates an injustice. If one child gets told off as something they've not done and it's another child, he's, he's quick to point that out. No, you've got that wrong to the teacher. And I, and I, and I, like, I like that stuff. But yeah, yeah. He, he hates an injustice. And I think the only thing I want to mould him into is just be, just be good. Look out for other people. Just do what you can to be good and try and be happy. Like he's playing football at the moment and he's just starting his first season in a league and stuff. It's great to go watching him as well. It gives you something to do with purpose. I'm up early, I'm doing a bit of pre-training with him. Then we take him there, all the team meet up. We've all got matching kits on. He's speaking to the other dads and it, it's a proper great day out like when, when they're playing on a Sunday. Do you feel like, like a part of a community with all of those dads as well? Yeah, definitely. That role in WhatsApp groups and it's great. I love the responsibility. I think what more some men don't like the responsibility. I like getting up on the first one up in the house. I make the breakfast, take them to school when I can if I'm not working. You know, I, I like the responsibility, the leadership side of it. Yeah, oh, that's the bit I enjoy the most. I think. There are a lot of things that fascinate me about this episode. After knowing Grant for over 25 years, hearing this story just really brought a lot of different perspectives to my mind. Grant demonstrated an incredible amount of maturity to be able to forgive and accept that the other lad was not going to change his plea and then to actually share the same cell with that person. 
Of course he must have had some anger and frustration at what the other lad was not willing to do, but to be able to put a positive spin on it, I suppose really helped his mental health in the long run. Must take an incredible amount of discipline and the ability to say no, when you're in a prison with so many criminals who are probably trying to entice you into further criminal activity inside and outside the prison. And sadly, that's the vicious cycle about the prison system. It's also clear that Grant was very fortunate to have a great support system as well. Mutual friends of ours that were able to give character assessments and that showed him that he had the support and he wasn't alone. Grant was able to dramatically change his life and his priorities shifted and he was able to move away from those bad influences. Before you go, let me tell you about our man test. The team and I created it with the belief that every man has hidden, untapped potential and I want to help you discover what it could be. Let's face it, we've all got dreams and aspirations, but the stresses of life can get in the way. I know I've been there myself. As men, each one of us has skills and knowledge that sets us apart from the rest. It's about discovering what they are and making the most of them. The man test is simple, it takes less than three minutes and will help you discover your true strengths and talents by working out what kind of modern man you really are. Find the link in the show notes and take the man test today. You never know, you might just learn something new about yourself that you didn't know before.